Well, good morning. I am delighted to be here. Uh, somebody needs to tell Colorado it's springtime. Uh, you know, we've got red buds in bloom and trees are starting. You know, they've got little leaves springing out. I come here and there's snow around. And I'm like, oh, wasn't, wasn't braced for that. So it's a joy to be here and to just spend this very special day here with a, a church that is indeed very special to our hearts and uh, so many people here that used to be among us. And you know, I will confess to you that when the Lord says to you, I gave you that, I want it back, that's hard. We get attached not only to things, but especially to people. And the Lord gives them to us, but then he says, I want them back. And they are his to do with as he desires. <clears throat> and when Zach came to me uh, years ago and he said, the Lord's leading us to plant a church in Colorado, outwardly I, I, I said all the right things. I said, okay, man, we're, gonna, we're with you. We're gonna, this is what the Lord's leading you to do. We're all for it. Inwardly I'm going, what? Uh, oh, Lord, you know, I mean, he, this is my right arm. Uh, there's so many things that, would not, could not have happened at Buck Run had Zach not been there as our executive pastor and just God used him and Jen in so many ways. But I'm reminded of this truth I want to share with you this morning, that everything God does has a purpose, and that purpose is for our good. It doesn't always feel like it. The, the, the feelings sometimes are contrary to what's actually going on. But I'm going to read to you, we're going to focus on Romans chapter 8, verse 28, but I want to begin reading in verse uh, 18 just to get the, the context. You can see how Paul thinks as he gets to this incredible statement about God's providence, the way God is working everything together for the good of those who love him. But he begins with suffering. I want you to see that, verse 18. For I consider that the suffering of this present time, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, but for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the mind he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, 
because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Imagine that you lived in France uh, in that time right before what we know of as World War II. And the Nazis have overrun the country. And they've set up a, a, a puppet government, the Vichy government, that serves completely at the will of Adolf Hitler. Now, you are, you recognize that this is a terrible thing and that ultimately for freedom to be ever known again, you've got to overthrow that government. And so you want to be a part of the resistance movement. They're known as the partisans. And you put word out to some people you know that are connected to the partisan movement that you really you would be willing to, to serve in that underground and clandestine capacity if, if only you knew how. And so the word is given you to be at a certain cafe on a certain day, and there a gentleman comes in, he sits down at the table opposite you, and he says to you, you need to understand what it is you're signing up for. And you could lose your life, this could cost you everything, but you have to obey any order that you are given. It will not always make sense to you. Your life will be in danger. But the one thing you must render is complete and total obedience. And there's no turning back once you agree. And so you sign up. Okay, I'll do it. And he says, you'll probably never see me again. And... He's gone, and the next thing you know, you're given different instructions from time to time, where to be, what to do, what to get. And uh, you, you, do, you see the partisan leader every now and then, but shockingly, he's wearing a Gestapo uniform. Sometimes you see him arresting people that you know to be on your side, partisans. Sometimes you see him treating them roughly, and you don't understand, but yet you do what you signed up for. You you agree to keep every single order. You render complete obedience every time any command is made of you until the very end of the war. And only then do you realize that he was a double agent. Only then do you realize that when it looked like he was doing things that was hurting your side, he was arresting partisans, but then he was letting them go on the other side of the hill. He was protecting them from the Gestapo. He himself was serving in a way that threatened his life. But at all points, he was worthy of your trust, even when it looked like he wasn't. That really is what it's like to serve God. Because there are going to be moments that you don't know what he's doing. It doesn't make sense to you. You don't understand it. Yet the one thing that he demands of you is complete and total obedience, that you trust him. Only when Jesus comes will God's complete work be known to us and will he be vindicated. See, for the Christian, the great comfort in our suffering is that there's glory to come. That glory is coming. And he, Paul says that uh, this 
present life, the sufferings in this life, is not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. So Christ helps us in our suffering by sharing his inheritance. That's what he tells us up in verse 17, that we are his adopted sons and daughters. We're heirs and joint heirs. We're recipients of his glory, just like we are of his suffering. To follow Christ is to know both things, the sufferings of Christ and the glory of Christ. But the Spirit himself also helps us in our weakness. Because when we are in those sufferings, and we don't know how to pray, Paul tells us that the Spirit helps us in our weakness by interceding on our behalf. Sometimes we're in a situation we don't even know how to pray. Do we, I mean, do we really pray for God to take people we love away from us? Do we pray for God to take people we love and maybe put them through hardship and difficulty and frustration? Is that what we pray for? We don't even know how to pray as we ought. But here's the promise, that when we come to God, simply yielding ourselves to Him, saying, Lord, I, I don't even know the right thing here. I just want to see Christ glorified. That's when the Spirit Himself intercedes for us. He, he takes our, our prayers and He translates them, if you will into the language of heaven. He, he takes our inability to comprehend and he has the complete mind of God and he prays for us with these inter, by interceding on our behalf with these unutterable groanings. So the Father helps us in our lives by working his will. He says in verse 27 that the Father, who, the God who knows the mind of the Spirit he, knows, he, he sees the hearts, our hearts, and he knows the mind of the Spirit. And so God is always working in our lives what is the mind of the Spirit. Now here is how Paul arrives finally at this great promise. As the Spirit intercedes for us according to God's will, God responds by working all things in our lives for that singular purpose our final glory and the ultimate defeat of sin now here here's sort of the upshot of the whole thing we can have incredible comfort and confidence in god's providence that god is working around us and in us and in the lives of people around us people who like us people who don't people who love us people who hate us God's using every single thing in our lives to work out his glory. For every possible predicament of man and woman, there's a corresponding grace of God. For every particular human need, there is a supernatural response. That is the promise of Romans 8.28. It's in this broader context about salvation, but for today, let's think of it uh, the implications as broadly as the text will allow and specifically about this incredible endeavor of sending this team to Durango. First of all, I want you to see our knowledge of this is certain. It's certain. This isn't something we hope. It says, for we, what? No. We know. We don't think. We don't wonder. We know. No matter how it feels, 
no matter what someone else says, no matter how much it hurts, no matter how great the suffering, no matter the injustice, here is something we don't have to worry about. We know. I have uh, in our home a beautiful tapestry that was woven by Chinese Christian women uh, surreptitiously. Uh, they, it took them months to make it out of the eyes of the government or any government agents, and it's a tapestry of, of Da Vinci's The Last Supper. And it is absolutely stunning and beautiful. It's a huge tapestry, and the work is so intricate. But let's imagine that I folded it up into a tiny little square, and I folded it with the backside showing. You ever seen the backside of a tapestry? You can make out the image, but the loops are big, it's rough, it sort of looks like it's a hairy picture or something. If I showed you only one little small part of the backside of the tapestry and I said, what is that? I, said, I don't know. I see colors, I see figures, and so I unfolded a little bit. Oh, I, well, that looks like a hand. And then I unfolded some more. It looks like several hands. What? Their hands on a table. Oh, well, those are human figures. Oh, th those guys, they're all looking. There's somebody in the center. Oh, I see that now. I recognize that. It's the Last Supper. And you can make it out. Now it makes sense. Now you've seen, seen it unfolded. But boy, when I turn it around and show you the right side, then you see it in all of its beauty. I think life unfolds like that. We're often called upon to look at just a tiny little part, and we're seeing it from this side instead of from the eternity side of things where God's work makes sense, where we see exactly what he's up to. We only see a little part, and it's, it's indistinguished. It's, it's not real clear to us. The, the pixels are big. We can't make it out. But we trust that he is making history unfold exactly like he wills for our good. Here's something we know. Secondly, God's providence is comprehensive. For we know that all things. I can point to a lot of good things that have happened in the lives of people I've shepherded. But the evidence that I see that God is really at work is in the lives of the people that I, I have pastored who have suffered greatly. And in their suffering, their trust in God. Someone that Zach and Jen uh, knew very, very well, and Jen was especially close to a lady named Kathy Casey. You may have heard about her through them. Uh, I've read her journals that she wrote in the last months of her life as she was dying of cancer the absolute complete trust she had in the lord and it was so humbling to me to see her write quotes from sermons i preached verses that i had shared uh, truths that i had taught and yet she had really come to believe them deeply and in the crucible of suffering they showed themselves to be true see God's providence embraces everything even our suffering and people who rebel at God people get mad at God in their suffering 
They're the ones who are weary and frustrated and trapped in bitterness and and self-righteousness. And I think sometimes people look at following Christ in exactly the wrong way. We, you know, a guy named Norman Vincent Peale wrote a book in 1948 called The Guide to Confident Living. And in it he said, this book presents in simple outline those formulas which make life work successfully. Well, that sounds wonderful. Isn't that what I want? I want formulas that make life work successfully. You got problems with your teenagers? Give me a formula that makes that work successfully. You get a diagnosis of cancer? What's the formula that makes that work successfully? You have marital issues? Well, what, can you give us a formula that will just make this go away? Oh, we'd all love to have formulas. And that's precisely what Norman Vincent Peale said that that's what Christians do with the Bible. We're, we just distill it down to those formulas that help us navigate things well. Our, what we've done today is we've taken the Bible and we've tried to highlight not the glory of God, but the needs of people. And we say, oh, here's what this is. This is a recipe theology. Just do A, B, and C, and your life will work great. And our number one goal is to get the problem solved. That's what we use the Bible for, to solve our problems, to make us have a better life and be better people, and all that sounds wonderful. But our real bottom line is that the problems have to end. Maybe it's not that way. Could it be that the problems in our life are actually a window into the deepest part of our souls to understand that the obstacles in my soul are the things that keep me from being like my Savior. Could it be that God is working through the problems to make me like Jesus, who was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief, and he suffered on Calvary's cross? Is it true that God can work in all things? Yeah. God's providence is comprehensive. Third, our circumstances and our experiences are, here's a word I like, confluent. Confluent, they work together. As a boy, I lived in Brazil uh, at the, on the Amazon River at the place where the big heel negro system from uh, the, the northern part of uh, South America flows into the Amazon system coming from the Andes to the west. You know, uh, you, you look at a map of South America and it's dominated by the Amazon River. And what you see there is there, there's no one place that is the headwaters, the source of the Amazon River. There are literally thousands of sources of the Amazon River. <clears throat> they begin high in the Andes. They have names like the Yucayali and the Marañón, the, the Japua, the Juruá, the Moa. Uh, and they flow together, uh, the, the Piraán, the, the Rio Negro, the Huatamá. Uh, they, they, thousands of these tributaries and rivers flow into two major systems. And then there at the city of Manaus, where I used to live, they, they run side by side for as much as 40 miles 
black water and brown water, and they don't mix. They, they have different levels of silt and different pH levels, and they go side by side without mixing until finally they can't help it. In a churning of water, they finally they go into this one mighty Amazon for another 1,200 miles to empty into the Atlantic Ocean, one-fifth of the world's freshwater system in the Amazon. You, you look at that, and that is an incredible picture of the sovereignty of God, that God is using every single little experience and data point in your life. And he's bringing it together into one mighty stream of grace so that you are going to become like your Savior. If you look past Romans 8.28 to the next verse, he tells us that God foreknows those whom he predestined so that he's predestined us to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's God's purpose for us. He's ultimately making us like Jesus. That all of these things in our lives work together for good. I remember the very first time I met Buddy. You know, you, you, you could look at, I could look at Buddy's life. Something brought Buddy to Franklin County, Kentucky. And there one day he sent word through our youth pastor. He wanted to talk to me. He couldn't leave school grounds because he was the principal. And I went and talked to him. My very first conversation with Buddy he was telling me sort of a church he was in. That he was, they didn't really think they preached the gospel like they should. And I listened to him talk. And I said, buddy, let me tell you two things. I don't know how long it's going to take you, but you're going to end up at Buck Run. But we won't have you long. You're going to end up on the mission field. My very first conversation with him, I told him those two things. And both are true. Now, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but what I saw was God was doing that. He was bringing all these things together. And I just thought, man, God's doing this in Buddy's life. And I can see this flowing together into a stream of God's grace. God's going to use him. And, and that stream continues from Fort Collins down to Durango now, doesn't it? Others that are part of that same stream of grace. All of our circumstances, every relationship, every conversation... Every ounce of suffering in our lives, God is using it. But here's the guarantee that is comforting for good. For good. Man, that's what a comfort. Because there are days I say, Lord, I know you promised you're never going to hurt me, but I'm dying here. It feels like I'm, I'm being killed. And he reminds me, he didn't promise me an exemption from the thorns and the sufferings of life. He promised me that he'll work them together for good. Well, that's a comfort. Because it's through the suffering of Jesus that I even came to be saved. God has used suffering in this fallen world to bring about his plan, his purpose. And it's for our good we, we can trust that. You know, if you go to, uh, if you go to Central Kentucky, uh, a lot of our people at Buck Run work for the Toyota Manufacturing Company and building Camrys. The Toyota plant is in Georgetown, Kentucky, just uh, sort of the next little town over from Frankfurt. 
And if you ever go to the plant, it's fascinating because, you know, you go in and you see these huge steel rolls. They're just big rolls of steel. And they tell you that is going to become a car. It's, how's that even possible? But then you watch as they take you through the plant. That, those steel, big rolls of steel like, get unfurled and heated and they get shaped and, 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 and put together into a chassis. And then the chassis comes down the assembly line and from overhead here comes a motor. A motor gets put on that chassis. And then here comes a red body. Now I will tell you, I don't know what I imagined but what shocked me was that, like, here comes a red body, and then right behind it, a blue body, and behind that, a white body. I don't know what I thought. I think I used to think that maybe Wednesday was red car day. I, but I thought, you know, they do all the same colors together. They don't. They, they're totally mixed up. And you see these robotic tracks overhead, and there are red doors hanging, and blue doors hanging, and white doors hanging. And, and as these cars come down the assembly line, here comes this robotic arm, and it swings down and puts a red door on the red body. And then there's someone there to sort of, the, you know, they, they do welds or screws or whatever, and they're checking on the quality of the product as it goes down there. And you watch, and as it goes down the line, it begins with just blobs of steel, and by the time it gets to the end of the line, they drive it off the assembly line and out into a parking lot, and it's just... I, it stunned me. Everything got exactly where it needed to be at precisely the instant it needed to be there. And it occurred to me that if Toyota can figure out how to do that with its cars, my heavenly father can do that with my life. He can have right where I need it. The people, the resources, the circumstances, the encouragement, and even the suffering that makes me like Jesus. It's for our good. You know, I, I love the word that Paul uses when he talks about the grace of God in 2 Corinthians. My grace is what? Sufficient for you. When I was a little boy, we lived at a place called Lick Skillet on Watermelon Road by Whippoorwill Creek. <laughs> I am not making that up. That's, that's really where I lived. And there was a, a, a one-lane, just rattle-trap bridge over the Whippoorwill Creek right by our house. And cars would come, and you could hear, like, it, it was part wood and part metal, and it would clang when you drove across it, only one car at a time. Somebody had to, if there was a car coming the other direction, somebody had to play chicken. Someone was going to win, someone was going to lose, but they weren't both going to be on that bridge at the same time. The Kentucky Department of Transportation came in one day, demolished that bridge, and put up a new one. They brought, you know how much material they brought to build that bridge? They didn't build, they didn't bring the same amount of material that they used to build a the Brent Spence Bridge across the Ohio River. They brought the amount of material sufficient to cross the Whippoorwill Creek. Sometimes people say to me, Pastor, I'm afraid to die. I said, well, you're not dying yet. When you're dying, God will give you dying grace. He will give you grace that is sufficient for the moment that you need it. Here's the promise of Romans 8.28 that 
It is for good. But there's one last thing I want you to see. This promise is conditional. It's not, not in the sense that this is a conditional sentence and if a traditional if-then kind of sentence. But I just want you to notice this is not a promise God makes to everyone. He doesn't say that all things work together for good for everyone. Who's it for? For those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Now those two things go together. They emphasize the subjective aspect of salvation. That I have responded to Jesus by receiving him as Lord and I love him. But then the objective part of salvation is that he called me. Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And we love him because he first loved us. Romans 8, 28 embraces both parts. It's for those who love God, but who are the called according to his purpose. And if you love God, it's because he called you. And if he called you, inevitably you're going to love him. But this promise is only for those because it's those whom he is shaping and fashioning into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. You know, when you get this, it changes your attitude toward suffering, toward problems. You know, it's not wrong to ask God why. Habakkuk saw the Babylonians getting stronger and God's people getting weaker. And he said, God, why? And Job was suffering greatly and he cried out, God, why? And, and Paul had this thorn in the flesh that he didn't think was for his good. He asked God to remove it. Well, why do I have to have this? And when God answered each of them, he, didn't, he did not explain his reasons. He just gave them one, the answer that I call, I'm God, you're not. He said to, he said to Habakkuk, yeah, I, I'm the one raising the Babylonians up. I'm the one making them stronger to do something to my people. And he told to Job, he didn't explain to Job why he allowed suffering in his life. He just said, where were you when I put the stars out there in space? And to Paul, he's just said, my grace is sufficient for you because my strength is perfected in your weakness. And when each of them got this, it changed their attitude toward the suffering. Habakkuk said, ah, the just shall live by faith. And Job said, though he slay me, yet will I, yet will I trust him. And Paul said, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me because when I'm weak that's when I'm strong when you understand that God is providentially working his plan his will in your life it changes your attitude to everything that happens to you every day every event every circumstance becomes an opportunity for you to see God at work to make you more like Jesus. You know, as you send this team to Durango, we don't know what the future holds. We don't know how hard it's going to be. We don't know how much success they'll have in the, as you count success, how many people will reach. We don't know any of that. Here's what we know. That all things are going to work together for their good. Because they love God, they're called according to his purpose.
I would say to you, if you've never reached that point in your life where you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then you don't have any guarantees in life. I can't tell you everything's going to turn out right. I can't give you any comfort until you come to the place where you say, I know God has called me, and I'm responding to that call by putting my trust in Him, repenting of my sins, and loving Him as my Lord. And then you can know all things work together for good for you because you love God and you're called according to His purpose.